Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Because here was his answer when you finally came up and you were confronted with Christ. Verse 17 says this. If anyone is willing to do his will, God's will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Now this verse, I wish I had another entire Sunday to preach on, but I'm not. Here's what you do need to know. Some of you probably are thinking, I wonder if my doctrine is correct whether the full doctrine about God is or all the other ancillary doctrines that fit around God, I wonder if they're correct. How would I know? Maybe the Jehovah Witnesses are right. Maybe the Mormons really are right. How will I really know? Well, there's a lot of steps that you need to take, but if you take these steps, you will know. You won't have to worry about when I die. I wonder if this thing is going to really play out right when I get to heaven. You don't have to fear that you're wrong any longer. Number one is you've got to trust Christ as Savior. The second thing you need to do is to yield yourself to the Lordship of Christ. The third thing you have to do, this gets really important, you in your heart have to be willing to do His will. When every time you see the phrase, His will, then you want to really transpose that word, His word. I really am willing to do His word. And if you do, God continues to reveal more and more of accurate theology and doctrine to you. Now, once he's revealing his will to you, the next step is you've got to do his will. And when you do, you're going to be brought along in this beautiful stream of sound doctrine because he says that's the formula. Trust Christ, submit to him as Lord, get into the book and be willing to do it no matter the cost, and then start doing it, and you will know that this doctrine is true, or it is it not. Maybe an illustration might help you. Do you remember sometimes you watch either cartoons or TV programs, and you see these two cowboys, and they're in this long, big desert, and their canteens are empty, and they're dragging up, and all of a sudden in the distance they see a little bit of an oasis, and they arrive at the oasis, and they look at the water there. What would you think of the guy that's looking at this says, you know, I wonder if that's really water. I wonder if there's any poison in this thing. I wonder who made this water. How did this water get here? I wonder if there's going to be enough for us. Will it really satisfy us? Maybe we should wait till the night to drink this water. Maybe we should let somebody else drink this water. What would you tell someone who is doing that while you're so thirsty in front of that water? You'd say, just drink it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, will you do this? Just do my will and you will know that it's of God. Later on, he's going to say, just drink it. Just, what does Nike say? Just what? Do it. Just do it. Some of you, that's the leap of faith that you have to take. That's that step where you have to say, you know, I don't understand the whole Bible, but I'm going to leap into this thing and I'm going to believe that if it's wrong, God will correct it or clarify it, but I'm going to do it. If you stay so long on this outside, you will die and they will find you as a skeleton with an empty canteen can right next to the water. So don't do that. So again, that's how you handle speculation. But there's some other way to handle speculation. I'm going to jump ahead just to show you what it is. Verse 24. It says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Simply stated is, some of you, you may be uh, looking to be satisfied by Christ, and so you're looking at all the outward signs. That could be some of you that are looking at Christianity and you're saying, you know, I see some Christians, they're really not living the right life. And, and that must mean that Christianity is not authentic. Let me tell you, do not rest your eternal destiny upon the failed weaknesses of humans just like you 
who will at times have bad hair days, bad hair weeks in their walk with the Lord. It won't be that the Lord failed. It'll be that we fail. But please don't let them determine how you should be before God, whether you're saved or unsaved. So don't go by appearance. You want to judge righteously. Now, again, what is your righteous judgment, your correct judgment? It's going to be God's word. That's why here at this church, we're not going to merely give you three points in a poem and a lot of song and dance. You're going to hear God's word. And yeah, it'll be a little long at times. And I'm not the best speaker and I don't articulate well. And sometimes I don't bring the segues as good as I could. But I'll tell you this, nobody is going to love God's word more than I love God's word. And nobody will do anything I could for you to know God's word that you could know. You've got to to want to know God through his word. Now that I said that, go back again because you need to know what that said in context. Verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? So he's speaking to the crowd, specifically the Jewish leaders. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? The answer is yes. The law was not something that we could completely fulfill. We're all going to break the law. So why do you seek to kill me? Because nobody can keep the law. Now he goes a little bit further. The crowd answered. Now this is not the leaders. The crowd answers, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? I'd like to say, crowd, where have you been? You've been out to lunch? Don't you know what these Jewish people are doing, the Jewish leaders? They've already started sending signals earlier on in his life, and it's only going to intensify. Don't you know that there is this pervasive pervasive movement to destroy Christ? Yet they're saying, who wants to really kill you? And so Jesus answered them by saying this, I did one deed, and you all marveled. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it was for Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. Now you're saying, what in the world is he saying? All right, look up here again. He's reminding them that a few weeks or months earlier, he was back in Jerusalem. And while he was in Jerusalem, there was this crippled guy next to a pool called Bethesda. He then goes to this crippled guy and he heals this guy. This guy jumps back up and he tells everybody, Jesus healed him. What's so big deal? He did it on the Sabbath. The Sabbath said you should not work. And so now there's this conflict because Jesus did something on the Sabbath. Now, technically, what he did on the Sabbath was not against the law because it didn't say you couldn't heal this guy. So he was within the framework of the law. But the Jews said, no, that's against the law. So they didn't even know the correct interpretation of their own Old Testament scriptures. So they really railed on Jesus Christ for doing that on the Sabbath. So now he's saying, guys, you do basically the same thing. If a little boy is born on the eighth day, the law says, because Abraham before the law was doing this, then God said through Moses that you take an eight-day-old boy and you circumcise him. It was part of a cleansing thing too, by the way. And I don't have time to open up the whole thing of circumcision. If your children are in here and you're saying, what's circumcision? If you're a guy, ask your dad. If you're a girl, ask your mom. But that's as far as I'm going to go. So said, circumcise him. So now he's saying, okay, if the law says you're to do that, but now you've got a conflict because let's say that boy is born and all of a sudden it's the eighth day, but it's the Sabbath day. What are you going to do then? And so Jesus then shrugs his shoulders. He says, listen, you're going to take care of a little part of a little boy's body over here. I took a whole man's body and I cleared it up for you. So he says, it is okay to do this. So again, he's saying, if you're going to judge things, make sure you judge them accurately by the word of God. So those of you that are still outside the faith, you're still hungry, you're chasing after all kinds of religions, isms, and spasms, may I just tell you to do this? Open your Bible. Go through Scripture. Make sure you don't proof text what you believe by one verse, maybe pulled out of context. Learn the book. Spend time studying it. And I pray as long as we're here, we will have quality Bible teaching on-site 
and in homes so that our people can make their decisions as they speculate on what's going to satisfy them through God's word because that's the only way we're going to get that done. All right, let's go back to John chapter 7 again. And let's go a little bit further now as I talk about the third thing that sometimes people look at to satisfy their needs. It's the word synergy now. That's a word we don't use, but synergy is another word for things in agreement, things in harmony, so that things are all working together. And so sometimes we think, well, if everybody works together, we're going to have some our needs being met. And that's not always the case. So let's pick it up, if you will, at verse uh, 25 here. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is not... The man whom they are seeking to kill is not this the man whom... Look, he is speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? So they're saying, wait a second. We know people are trying to seek to kill him, but now he's doing all of this stuff, but they're not doing anything to get after him except maybe growl at him a little bit. What in the world's going on over here? And so again, they're trying to do the more popular thing. We've got to get everybody on the same page with one another. And that often doesn't work. It says here, however, we know where this man is from. But whenever Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah may come, no one knows where he's coming from. That's not true because scripture in the Old Testament very clearly said that he'd come out of Bethlehem. So we knew that. We also knew he'd come from the tribe of Judah as well. So we knew a little bit about where he's coming from. So they're already now having misinformation. And then Jesus cried out in the temple. And you might want to underline the word cried out. I wondered why would he say that? Because other times then Jesus said in this place, it says Jesus cried out. I believe what he's about to say is, you listen to me, all of you in the back of the room, because what I'm going to tell you is very profound and very important. And now he goes through this monologue teaching experience here, and he cries out. And he says, you both know me and know where I'm from. Now, he said that in kind of a sarcastic way, because other times they didn't know, and only those who knew him knew. And I'm not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, which you think you know God, but you really do not know God, because I am God, you don't know me, therefore you don't know him. I know him because I am from him and he has sent me. There it is again. Count him in your Bible. Do a study on that to see how that Jesus is God so many times. Verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him and no man laid his hand on him because his hour is not yet come. There it is again. But many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those with this man does, will he? Well, yes, he will arise again from the dead. But basically they're saying, this has got to be the Christ. He's doing all these miracles and they're now beginning to believe that he is something more than just another guy, that he's God, at least the Messiah. And the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering among themselves and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. So they're all trying to get more popular. Who's happen, who's, what, what's going to make this thing come together for them? Well, now let's move to the last one and that is superiority because I want to get into this last section here and we're just about out of time. This won't take me as long. Sometimes what happens, we're trying to have our needs met we will go after strategies, usually human strategies, and they don't really work, do they? Sometimes we will try to get some synergy going, and that doesn't work. Sometimes we just think, if I just take control, that's superiority. I've got some needs in my life, and so now I need to take control, because if I am in control, I can make things happen. How many of you have read when they were without gasoline in the Northeast, there was one guy that got so upset, he pulled out a gun and he was going to shoot somebody or threaten somebody to be able to get the gasoline because in his mind he felt he needed that gas to get something else done to get something else done to eventually bring him happiness in his life that's what we're talking about with control and sometimes same thing with salvation we think that in order to go to heaven we got to take control of our life so what we're going to do now is we're going to do more good deeds but we're going to do the good deeds we want to do, when we want to do them. Or maybe it's going to be more religious deeds that we're going to do. Maybe more of those religious deeds, but we're going to do it our way. So again, it becomes a control factor to get our needs to be met. 
And that's not going to work either because the solution to our needs is not more religion and piosity. It's going to be Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the passage now, verse 33. Therefore, the Jesus said, for a little while longer I'm with you, then I will go to him who sent me. That is kind of a little bit of a veiled. I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. At least I'm going to go to the Father. You will seek me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come. Now some of you are thinking, wait, whoa, whoa. Didn't he say to his disciples that where I go, I'll prepare a place for you and where I am, there you will be also? That's a very interesting, good contrast to those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. You do not know him. You will not go to be with him. And you cannot get there by anything you do yourself. To those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, he says, you know who I am, you know where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I am, you will be. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care where Jesus is, hell would be a good place if Jesus is there, because I want to be with Jesus Christ. So that's the center of everything that he is saying here. It's Jesus Christ, no more, no less. So the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Intended to go to the dispersion of the Greeks? Teach the Greeks, is he? Well... Not exactly, but eventually the gospel did go to them. What is the statement that he said? You will seek me and you will not find me. Where can I go? Where you go, I can't, I, he cannot come. What does that all mean? Now, verse 37 and verse 38. Oh, this passage is just so rich. So rich. I, I got to bring this to a close, I know. Next week I want to talk about a God of second chances. But I come down here because I want to give you these last three verses. I know there's more in the chapter and you can read them for yourself. I'll just give you something you can tag it on yourself. Look for the four responses to what Jesus says in verse 37 and 39. Look for four responses, and then you can decide which response is going to be yours. Let's go to verse 37, and this is where we're going to close. 37, 38, 39. I love this. He says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood, and there he did it again. He cried out so everybody would hear him. He's crying out with authority. He's making sure that all attention is drawn to him because he's saying something that is so critical. That last day of the feast, when the priests would come in with their water, as they entered into the water gate of Jerusalem, the temple area, they would blow their shofar. They would walk up to the altar. They would march around the altar seven times and they would dump the buckets of water there on the last, the great day of the feast. And he's reminding them of this as he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Would you circle the word thirsty? Now, it could be social thirst. It could be religious thirst. It could be financial thirst. The point of the matter, the source of your quench is going to be in Christ, in Christ alone. Now you take all the temporal physical needs that you have and no matter how bad it gets, it doesn't really matter if you still die and go to hell. So now what's the greatest one that trumps your physical needs is going to be your spiritual needs. So that is the greatest need because if that is meant, even if this world doesn't get better, you have the hope of the next world to live with him forever and having that hope now gives you the ability to think in a stable way to be able to get through this world with the right choices that you make. So you want to have that. So it says, if any of you thirst. So the question right now is, are you thirsty? Are you recognizing that everything you tried has failed, all your politics, all your philosophy, all your piosity, everything that you've done, you're, you're getting a little bit of comfort from it, but at the end of the day, your head's on the pillow and you're still saying, it doesn't work. I still am thirsty. There's something missing in my life. You've got to recognize you're thirsty. The next it says here, it says beyond the thirst part, it says, 
You got to come to me. It doesn't say come to the church. It come to your philosophy. Come to your religion. Come to your own ability to do something. It's to come to him. Now watch. It doesn't say come to me and then do your own good deeds. He says you come to me. And then it says and drink. Now there's three things. Come, thirst, come and drink. If you look at the last chapter of Revelation, you're going to see over and over again where the Alpha and the Omega says, come to me, you who are thirsty, and drink of me. So what you're drinking of is not of the world again, but it's of Christ. Now, once you do, look what he says. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, follow me. This is critical. You can't have the rivers of living water inside of you until they come inside of you, which is Christ who is the water of life, and that comes inside of you when you believe in him. So here it is. If I thirst, I'm going to come to Christ. If I'm going to come to Christ, I'm going to drink of Christ. What does it mean to drink of Christ? I must believe in him, not behave, not believe and behave, but just believe in Christ. Once I believe in him, I now have this rivers of living water within me. Remember, if it was already in me, I wouldn't be thirsty to start with. So that water came in me through the Holy Spirit when I trust Christ as my personal Savior. Now, it goes on a little bit further. He says, but this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. They didn't get the Spirit yet. They will get the Spirit later on at the day of Pentecost for those who trust Christ as Savior. Now, here's what is important. It is important to know, it doesn't say you will get the Spirit if you ask Him for the Spirit. You get the Spirit when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now look up here a moment. We are on a timeline. This was written 2,000 years ago. Pentecost was about a year later, then the Spirit came. So all that's past tense, so the Spirit has come. You that have trusted Christ as Savior, you now have drunk of the living water. The living water through the Spirit is now inside of you. Now watch it. It says, and out of you shall flow rivers of living water. So those of you who know Christ as Savior, full circle is this. I was thirsty. Nothing I do will satisfy it. I drank of Christ by believing in him. That water is inside of me. And now what do I do? I represent Christ to the world by telling them about Jesus Christ so they'll believe in Christ so they too can have the Spirit so the water of the life of Christ in me now will shed abroad to everybody else that's around me. Now, folks, there are four different responses to that. The first group was convinced. The second group contended with them. The third group basically questioned. And the final group were got so angry with them. Before the feast, they just kind of disbelief. During the feast, they debated. And after the feast, there was almost a destruction of Christ that went on. Well, I don't know about you, but I pray that you will drink of Christ. I pray that you will go to him with whatever need that you have. And you go to his book and you do his will. And Jesus did give everyone who's an unsaved person a command that you have to obey. And that command is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. In a moment, we're going to serve communion. And I mean it just in a moment. But I want you to know that Drinking of the juice will not give you eternal life. Eating of the bread will not give you eternal life. The bread represents the body of Christ. The juice is going to represent the blood of Christ. He is the bread of Christ. In a sense, he's the water of life. And when we take of all of this, we're just doing outwardly of something that we who are believers have done inwardly when we trusted Christ as our Savior. And now... I pray that out of your 
lives will spring forth gushes of living water to those who don't know Christ as Savior. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. My dear friends, I don't know what your week was like. I don't know what struggles you're having on your job, with your families, with your finances, with your health. I don't know what's happening in your relationships. I don't know what's happening in uncertainty of your job in the future. Those of you that are in military and all of that that's going, I don't know. But I know this, that he does know. And he is a God who loves you. And he is a God who is in control. And he has your best interest in mind. And he is worthy of our worship. Now, like he said in the earlier chapter, you come and you eat that bread of life by faith. In this chapter, he says, come and drink of the living water or the water of life. And you do that by believing in him. That does not mean your problems are all going to go away. But it does mean you do have a problem solver in it. Someone who will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can boldly say the Lord is your helper. And you won't fear what others might do. Because they cannot control you. So would you right now. Just take that true step of faith. And do it. Just do it. Place your faith in him. You come to him by faith and faith alone. The alternative is thirst. And the ultimate alternative is separation from Jesus Christ forever. Is there anyone in here that would say, you know, I I stumbled in here today and I wasn't sure about my whole life, but I really heard that Christ is my all in all and that as Jesus Christ had one dialogue and one monologue with each group, each time he was trying to bring them to himself. And so, Lord, I know that today is if I walk those dusty streets of Jerusalem, you would be speaking to me. And so, Lord, you said that if I come to you thirsty and drink by believing in you, my thirst would be quenched. And so, Lord, I need you. I'm not going to try to play politics Philosophy isn't going to get it. Getting popularity isn't going to work. My piosity and religion won't do it. So Lord, all I have left is my face. And I take that little bit of faith and I put it in you, Jesus Christ, who is God. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me a home in heaven. Is there anyone here today that's ready to say, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I have a home in heaven now. My sins are forgiven. Pastor, would you pray for me? If today's the day, I'm not going to have you come forward or stand up, but I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand won't save you. I know that. You know that. Me praying for you won't either. But I just would like to welcome you into God's family to just say that we're all drinking at the well of life, Jesus Christ. And we welcome you here with us. Is there anyone at all that today is the day that Jesus Christ is the one who is your now personal Savior by faith alone? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Put it up, push down. Christians, I'd like you to think for just a moment. It did say out of your belly, out of yourself, out of your inner being that would flow rivers of living water. Now, I know you can't save anybody, but those rivers of living water would be Jesus Christ, the written word and the living word. Who do you know that's in your life right now that's thirsty? that you need to come to and then bring them the waters? Who do you need to 
send a note to, a card to? Who do you need to invite to come have perhaps an opportunity to hear the gospel on Sunday? Are you ready yet to let your life be a conduit of the living waters of the Holy Spirit for others? Would you do that? Maybe right now you need to surrender yourself that you've been kind of a clogged up drain and now you want to flow out to other people that precious gospel message. Would you like to have prayer? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Amen. Father, as we prepare for communion, we know we don't do it to get into your family. We do it because we're in your family. We do it in a sense like the Jews did as they remember the Feast of Booths, something that occurred in the past, but they didn't want to forget. We're doing this in obedience to you because you told us this do in remembrance of you. So we now come as believers partaking of this because we want to show that we remember your death, but also know that you're alive because we're also showing that you're coming back again for us. And we do this in our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.